people need to be taught how to take a vacation and that it's okay. And I mean, it's nobody's fault. We care so much. Your business and what you're doing is so important and meaningful to you. And you carry the weight of your employees and all of the vets that you serve. And I feel that weight for all of my patients. And we feel the guilt because we care. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud Veterinary Marketing Podcast. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Dr. Eve Harrison with me. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good. We were just joking around before the episode about the things I've had to edit out of the podcast, which isn't (laughs) many. I can't say them on air, but Dr. Harrison knows them now. So there's that. Mm -hmm. How's everything going? You're up in LA, not far from us. We're down in Newport Beach. So, you know, we're all dealing with the same Southern California stuff, you and I. We are. We are. Well, we have a leptospirosis outbreak right now, which has been interesting. Thank God none of my patients have gotten it. But yeah, I've been vaccinating a lot of my patients for leptospirosis because it's not really a core vaccine here typically. But now that we have this outbreak, I think it might be moving forward. But otherwise, things are busy, (laughs) as I know they are everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got animal pandemics on top of human pandemics on top of climate change and all the other stuff. Cool. Oh, what a life we all live in. No, but I'm glad you're thinking forward on that stuff. I did see that. And I sent that to many friends in LA and especially a lot with puppies. I said, Hey, this is happening. Call your vet, get it figured out because this isn't good. And I've had friends who've had puppies that have died just because they're ignorant to the things they should have done. You know, it's like they get the puppy and they go to the dog park when it's five weeks old. And I mean, I've heard some pretty bad horror stories. So I'm glad you're doing all of that. Yeah, I'm really thankful that none of my patients have gotten it, but I know a lot of my colleagues are dealing with lepto patients. Well, we'll start with the question I ask everyone. I love Marvel, and I want to know your superhero origin story. You know, and I everyone's going to laugh, because every time I typically do, like, this radioactive spider bit your hand, you turned into Spider-Man, or, you know, you tried to save a young teenager from an atomic bomb, the gamma radiation filled you, and the haunting dreams of your past father's abuse and your mother's death turned you into the Hulk. So, with that being said, how did you get into veterinary medicine? That's hilarious. So, <laughs> so I guess my superhero story is that I grew up in New York City. My apartment was small, and my parents never allowed us to have a, a dog or a cat. Me and my three sisters, we always wanted animals, didn't have them. But I did sort of develop a fondness for wild creatures. So every time we would go hiking or go to upstate New York, I would find lizards and newts and frogs and toads and birds and things like that. And so I always loved those creatures. And it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to actually do when I grew up. (laughs) For a while, I thought I was going to be a professional musician. I actually majored in music on flute, classically trained in college, but I felt like that wasn't quite it. One summer, I volunteered at the New England Wildlife Center in Massachusetts, and I just like found my people. I found my thing. I loved working with the animals and the physicality of it all, and just the types of people also that were drawn to working with those animals. It was, I sort of found my community through it. 
so I ended up applying to vet school kind of under the premise that I was going to be a wildlife or an avian vet. So I still love those species, but I don't work with them now. And in vet school, I, I kind of realized how much I really do love working with companion animals. And so I ended up focusing on cats and dogs. I thought I was going to be a surgeon. So I have kind of a windy story. And I um, did an internship and I actually did a surgical residency. And it turns out that wasn't quite right. And in kind of trying to find myself after that, I found myself as a house call veterinarian. And that felt right. That felt perfect. As soon as I did my first house call, I knew I was in the right place. So that's kind of where I am now. I've been and spent a lot of time in veterinary hospitals. And, you know, the way I would describe it is like, chaos most days. And I think it's organized chaos, but it's, there's a lot of noises. There's a lot of smells. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of movement. It is chaos compared to like a desk job or even probably like a lot of retail jobs. So when you're going to a home, I've always thought about this. What types of crazy stuff can happen if you're doing more in-home stuff as opposed to being in a hospital like what what happens where it's like oh i didn't see that i mean is it like you know guy walks out in his underwear or something like what is the way what is the weird stuff that happens oh that's really interesting i mean to be very honest i think like you said it's crazy in the clinic and it to me it's much more likely to see some crazy god knows what in the clinic and chaos in the clinic than at home. I feel that at home, things are generally peaceful. I feel things are much more under control because you don't have like 30 other people running around and other animals screaming and clients screaming and (laughs) who knows who's going to bust through the door and you'll have to call the police or God knows what. But let me see the craziest thing that's happened at home. I mean, no one's run out in their underwear. (laughs) That's good. I I was just picturing like, just an old guy kind of walking. Oh, the vet's here. All right. That's cool. I don't know why I like have this like weird thought in my head, of like this weird that's scenario. <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, I definitely have people who like, if I see an appointment kind of early in the morning, they'll be in their pajamas. So I definitely have people in their PJs, which I think is cute. And, you know, hey, honestly, truth be told, maybe I show up in my PJs sometimes <laughs> because I can do that. <laughs> you know, most of my clients, we know each other very, very well. And, you know, sometimes it's just really, really casual, but it's usually just like hanging out with a friend. It's really true. Like, I can't even think of like, you know, something like that at this moment. <laughs> you never like walk in and someone has like a rocket launcher, like, you know, like a weird sword collection. Oh. Uh, th- by the way, oh my I don't God. know. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one person who I walked in. They have an insane panda collection. Just pandas like absolutely all over the freaking place like panda dishes panda like maybe like 3000 pandas like stuffed pandas all over the wall on the shelves like that was interesting <laughs> well if my home office didn't have 10 grand worth of hulk memorabilia i would make a comment about that but for that panda <laughs> lover i say just follow your dreams <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i like pandas that's cool yeah Well, I was telling you, we sent out a questionnaire before these episodes. You know, it's basic questions. What's your favorite thing about working in VetMed? Well, every person has the same answer, always. It's like, I love the people, and I love how many opportunities there are. I can be an in-hospital vet. I can teach. I can speak. I can be an in-home vet. And I I love that. And I feel like most people know that, that there's so many 
variants of being a veterinarian and so many business aspects you can go do that it's great. But you gave a really good answer for your least favorite thing about vet med. And I know I say this in every episode, we're not here to focus on the negative stuff, but the more we talk through the bad things, the more we can try to come together for fixes, you know, and then when you have Dr. Harrison on, you can hear her thoughts on it. And I told you that you gave more information in your questionnaire than anyone has ever given by a lot. I mean, by a lot, a lot, like 10 times more than anyone has ever given. Like I had to, we saw it come through and someone on our marketing team put it in and, and I looked at it and I was like, okay, marking myself out for 30 minutes and I'm reading this thing. But there was a couple things you said and I typically don't prepare questions, but I knew that early in this episode, I wanted to ask specifically about these couple things that you said. So one of the things you said is, and I have this up on my screen, I have a 30 inch vertical monitor. I'm scrolling to get through all of this. No, I'm just <laughs> I have a lot to say. I, there's a lot to say, you know, there really is. <laughs> so you had said a comment. And again, I don't think a lot of people think about this. And I talk to friends, family, other business owners about veterinary medicine a lot. And you said most people are paying the true cost of medicine out of their pockets rather than through insurance, which is inherently challenging because we're constantly having to prove to pet owners the value of the work we're doing. You know, it's interesting. I mean, my God, we work with thousands of vets worldwide. We talk to them. We build payment options on their site. And I've really never thought of it that way. It's like I go to the dentist my dental insurance covers. I'm like, here's a hundred bucks. Thanks. You know, I go to see my doctor at Kaiser Permanente. I pay 60 bucks. They do 50 things. And I go take my two dogs who are 11 and nine out to get dentals. And I do the senior blood care and we do the dentals and it's 1800 bucks and I pay it without thinking twice. And that's interesting to think about because especially during like a pandemic, right? A lot of people don't have the type of funds to do that. And I assume well, I'm going to ask you, how many awkward conversations do you have to have about money? Because there is a premium on going to someone's home and saving them the trip and saving them the chaos of going into a hospital and doing all of that. Do you ever have someone who's like, I'm not paying you or I can't do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I would say that when I'm doing relief work, I don't have to do relief work anymore. My business is completely self-sustaining. But you know, when I have colleagues that need help, I will do relief work. And I find the problem that we run into with money and people paying out of pocket is a bigger deal in the clinic, mainly because I can't choose my clients and I can't screen them beforehand. Whoever's on the schedule is who I'm seeing. And we see people in a wide variety of demographics in the clinic, whoever schedules an appointment, that's who you're seeing. <laughs> and I don't know this state of their bank account. I don't know how they see what paradigm they are using to think about the value of their animal or the value of the veterinary care they're receiving. And, you know, I don't even know what baggage they might be coming in with regards to money or pet care, or maybe they hate vets <laughs> just as a rule, <laughs> which a lot of people do. And so, that is inherently a more challenging situation for me in terms of having financial conversations because you have no idea what you are stepping into. And so I think almost every conversation is financial in the clinic. Every conversation, you have to talk about money. 
I mean, I think most people who are practicing vets know that to be true, and that's just par for the course. But I think most folks going into it would never have thought about that. So as far as my house call practice is concerned, I do find those financial conversations really challenging. I don't enjoy that. I never want to guilt trip anyone. I never want to pressure anyone or make them feel bad. But there are times where someone can't afford things that you know the animal needs this or the animal is going to suffer if you go with plan C, D, E, or F (laughs) instead of like plan A, B, or C. And that's hard for me emotionally because I know (laughs) what's going to be the best outcome. And, you know, I can't judge people for not having the funds or, you know, maybe just having some personal belief that I can't get through to them in a 15 or 20 minute appointment (laughs) or 30 minute appointment, even to quote unquote, convince someone of the value or the reason why this might be a good idea. And then beyond that, people may just assume that you're selling something because you make a commission. And believe me, when I work relief, I don't make commission. (laughs) So it's frustrating to encounter that when it happens. And, you know, you do your best with it. But I do find those situations really challenging. And it breaks my heart when I can't provide at least a decent quality of life or comfort or pain meds or God knows what in the clinic. And so that's part of the reason that I have my house call practice. I can have things on my terms, including which clients I have. I can have a say on, if you can afford me, then we can proceed with the level of care that I would prefer to provide and not have to have a financial conversation about everything. So it's tricky. I I also feel guilt about that because my clients do tend to be have at least the means to be able to afford a a house call and so to me it's just a matter of where I'm putting myself so that I can practice the medicine I want to practice does that make sense (laughs) no well and I would just tell them like hey you live in Los Angeles you can afford this but I think even beyond that it's sort of like listening to you talk about that it's just always been really funny to me how most veterinarians I meet and speak to don't do well when it comes to talking about money and they don't do well in selling and upselling. And it's frustrating for me. I'm a weird person. People who've listened to our, I think we're 20, 30 episodes in here probably realize like he's an interesting guy. (laughs) I think of it as like, can't afford pet care. Don't have a pet. It's that simple. If you're going to complain about veterinary care, you should not have that animal and find someone who can provide that animal. It's the same thing with kids. It's the same thing with anything else in life. You know, don't go get a nice car if you can't maintain it and get input gas in it. So I think about those things and yeah. And I think from a money aspect, I don't know why people are so, and by the way, whisker clouds, no different. The same way that people go to vets and question it and go to Dr. Google, we get the same <laughs> stupid shit. No offense <laughs> to everyone out there, but it's like my website launched yesterday. I'm not number one on Google this year. Well, you're a brand new business with a brand new URL. Google's never heard of you. Yours is the first website. It's day one. Do you think like, even if you didn't really know about it, do you think, that's how it would ever work. You know, it's the same thing. It's like my dog Baxter's on Apoquil. It's not like he takes his first eight milligrams of Apoquil at breakfast and all of a sudden everything is cleared up and he looks great. But I also know the first time I ever gave him Apoquil, which was years ago, the doctor told me this is not a miracle cure at all. This is going to take care of 
one part of this and this will take weeks for us to see a difference. I need you to trust me. And I said, I trust you. Even tomorrow, my dogs are going to get their side of point shots. And Baxter's been a little itchier lately. And I know we're going to get the side of point shot. We're back on Apoquel. He's got hydrolyzed soy food. We're doing all these things. And I don't think an hour after the shot, it's good. But I wouldn't call the vet and say, hey, what the hell? He got his side of point shot <laughs> last night. Why isn't he perfect? Why doesn't his skin look all clean? So yeah, it's it's frustrating. And we, you know, we see the reviews and we hear the stories and we see the attacks that vets get. It's really hard. And and the money thing is big. And I mean, let me ask you a question I'm thinking about. So like let's say you're in someone's house, first time new client, you do work, you know, you say, Hey, it's gonna be 350 bucks, and they say, Oh yeah, I can't pay you. Sorry. What do you do? Do you <laughs> like do you have a do you have a plan for that? I do. First of all, that would never happen because <laughs> I screen my clients, screen my clients right off the bat. I have a very extensive, I actually call it an application. If you want to work with me, you have to fill out this application and you're going to see my prices and you're going to sign my contract with that includes my pricing. <laughs> so if you sign that and you're not going to pay me, we're going to have a big problem. But I think part of what I do and a really, really important part of why I love my practice so much and why it's given me so much freedom, flexibility, and lack of angst around money is that I screen people. Like, you have to prove to me <laughs> that I am going to not regret taking you into my practice. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you said about client expectations on you. I mean, you. I think anyone who's got a business is dealing with managing client expectations and there's a lot of unreasonable expectations on us anyone who's providing a service and so you know like someone who's going to expect immediate results someone who's going to expect their website to be number one on the google search come on now <laughs> it takes yeah, one time, day right? later <laughs> right right and so for me part of my screening process is to weed out people who tell me in no uncertain terms that they've got unreasonable expectations. You know, and some of those might be that they're not going to pay me or that they think that a, a house call visit should be significantly less than it is. And I agree with you also that having a pet is a privilege. If you can't pay for it, maybe you shouldn't have one. But that's also a spectrum. So it's also, I, I also feel so much conflict within myself when I think about you know, does that mean that poor people can't have pets? And I decidedly, I don't believe that. <laughs> so it's a thing, right? It's a really tricky thing. But isn't thing. it tough? Yeah. That's like so, all those like political science things. I just, I'm like, I, that's why I don't talk politics because I'm not the <laughs> expert on everything. And people are like, election this, COVID this, and Afghanistan this. I'm like, listen, I don't know enough on either side. So I'm not going to comment on that. But yeah, I agree with you. But I mean, that's, it's tough because should pet ownership be a luxury? No. Right. I know it's, that's hard. That's a weird one. You just took this in a really weird direction. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I think I don't have an answer for it. I think like our whole system is set up for everyone to get screwed kind of a little bit, <laughs> but I do think I was just talking to a friend of mine who was like, should I not have a cat? Like I can take care of my cat with as far as, everything preventative but if something unexpected happens i don't have the funds i'm not sure i would be able to have the funds and i was like well first of all try to get pet insurance and second of all 
And she's like, and how do I do the right thing by veterinarians? And I was like, I don't know that that's a question that has a, a standard answer. I think for me, I would be devastated if my patient had something fixable and we had to euthanize because there just wasn't the money. And this was a friend of mine, you know, I would be personally devastated, but I have a lot of vet colleagues who would feel like if there's nothing we can do with the money we have, euthanasia may be the right thing and feel good about that and confident. And, and so I told her, you're not going to make every vet happy. That's not going to work for me. I would rather you not have a cat in that circumstance, but yeah. Who am I? I'm just one person. There are many vets who would love to work with you under those circumstances. And you just have to find the vet that's okay with that, you know? So I think it's a matter of just finding the right person. And that's also how I sort of think about, I work with clients that can afford a house call. That's my choice. But that doesn't mean that if people can't afford a house call, they shouldn't have a pet. They should just maybe go to another vet. <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> No, it does. And again, like this is like one of those awkward conversations to have. But I mean, I, I just think a lot of people struggle with the like, what should we charge? And it's interesting for us because I was talking to my wife about this recently. And I said, one of the things I've noticed a lot of our customers emailing our support team lately is they're changing their prices like up and down, up and down often. And not my place. Like I said, I meet with our support team. I say, what you know, what are things that we're seeing? What's trending topics in vet med? I always want to have a pulse on our customers. And that's been a big one. It's like, yeah, a lot of our mobile vets have been up the price 10 bucks and then drop it 20 and then up at 15. And, and isn't that weird? There's not like any other business on earth who's constantly, you know, it's not like Apple is, you know, like, hey, you want a new Apple watch? It's 500. No, it's 400. No, nah, it's five fifty. Oh, we have. Oh, yeah. Now people really want them. It's six hundred. Ooh, we're not having many sales. It's three hundred. So, yeah, I think the cost of everything, you know. And then one person says, "You're going to charge me seventeen dollars to clip their nails," and they say, "Let's drop it." And then they, you know, and then they have to cut nails for three dogs that are tough, and it takes a long time. They're like, mm, let's raise it. So, yeah, the money aspect of a lot of this is just so interesting to me because so many vets don't realize their business owners. I think that's one of like the conversations I've had with a lot of our vets when, you know, I'm talking to them about like strategy for their business or I'm helping them with ads and things like that. And I'm just, they say like, I am, man, I'm just a vet. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You're not just a vet. You have employees, you have patients, you're a business owner. There's a difference. I'm a business owner. There's a lot of decisions I would personally make that I don't make that way because I have employees and I have customers and it's not just, well, this would be great for me. If it would be great for me, I would, no one would even talk to me on Fridays. I'd be out on a boat and life would be great. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm here like four to 10 PM most Fridays, just making sure all teams are good. All customers are good before the weekend. So yeah, I mean, and I love that you wrote all of that because the money aspect thing, that was just so interesting. I've never really thought of it that way. And you wrote one other thing that I think we should discuss. Yeah. Okay. So, and this is kind of a two-part thing. You said, as a vet, I know for a fact that every single one of my patients is going to die during my lifetime. And, and I'll say that's really interesting because when you were just talking about like having to euthanize a pet because they couldn't pay for it, I felt like a pit in my stomach when you said that. Because I'm sitting here talking to you. I work from home now. I have my snoring nine-year-old Boston Terrier Baxter behind me. Ooh. Baxter is not just another dog. He's not just a statistic. This is my son. He is my life. His life matters. To me, he's a, a human. So the fact, I feel very 
sad as an animal lover and this i probably am coming off quite naive but like i feel very sad that there's how many baxters are out there that are just these amazing living beings that just had an owner who just didn't have that 200 dollars, didn't have that 600 dollars, and that life is gone and i hate that we live in a world where you know thoughts are like that and then you said you know every single one of my patients is going to die during my lifetime that's probably a lot to take the other thing you said a lot of us are really traumatized by our work and in many ways we as an industry each lacks the agency to control our emotional environments. If you're an associate working in a brick and mortar clinic, unless you have an absolutely stellar boss and you're working with a phenomenal system, you really don't have agency to make decisions about your life on a moment to moment basis. You don't get to make the rules. So I think that's really interesting. And I think this is going to be a really interesting topic and I'll kind of defer to you, but from what we've seen, I think our team probably makes 400 team page changes on websites every single week. I mean, hundreds and hundreds. That's weird. We don't work with 50,000 customers. I mean, we work with a couple thousand veterinary professionals. We should not be changing out hundreds of team pages per week and making changes. And I don't think we know the full story at Whisker Cloud. So can you kind of talk about that? Like, you know, sort of what you said, it's like, the pay's not great from what I've heard. There's a hiring shortage. It's chaos. Not every boss. You even went on to say if you're an associate working at brick and mortar clinic, unless you have an absolutely stellar boss and you're working for the phenomenal system, like that's the line that really stood out to me because stellar, you could be a good person, a good vet, but you're probably not always going to be a great stellar boss. So I'll stop rambling and let's, I just want to hear your thoughts on all of that. Yeah. So I would say I worked in the clinic for most of my time as a vet for the first half of my career. And I kind of came to the conclusion that for me, (laughs) this is weird to say, but every clinic is a dysfunctional family. You are trying to spend every day of your life with these same 10 to 20, 30 people. You're dealing with challenging situations You have no choice in who you are working with and who you spend your time with every single day. And we're already doing stressful, emotional work. We have the finances bearing down on us. We have sick animals where we can't necessarily do right by them the way we might want to. You know, if you're more prone towards equanimity and just like, I'm doing my job and whatever happens, it's not my fault. I'm just, you know, if you can really get into that, like amazing Zen headspace, then everything can be totally fine. But based on how our industry looks and our suicide rates, and the fact that almost every single vet that I know and talk to regularly struggles with burnout, depression, anxiety, we have a lot of stress inherent in our work. And when you couple that with not having the control of who you are spending your day-to-day life with, you know, when you can take a break and stop and hit the pause button and just like take the day off and cry if you have to, or, you know, just do some really good self-care, spend time with your family and your kids and just take a freaking break. If you don't have the ability to just do that, call the shots, maybe even decide what kinds of patients and clients you're going to see, like, oh, damn, it's, Fluffy's owner, that person is always so rude to me. I have to see them again or I have to call them again. And you don't have the agency to let that client go from your practice. 
or decide how much time you're going to spend with each client, I think that's a lot to bear on top of just inherent in what the job is. So kind of like you read out, unless you have a stellar boss who is like really all about your freedom, about giving you agency, like real agency, like, you know, almost in a way that I don't even know is possible in a clinic, in a team at all, <laughs> then I think it's a real, real challenge. And, and that's why I choose to work solo as a house call vet, because I know how all of this affects me in the long term. Even a single day working in a clinic on a relief basis, I know that I feel so constricted and like, I can't fire this client that was just a freaking horrible, nasty, racist person to my staff. Like, this is not okay. And because it's not my business, I can't fire that person. And that causes me so much anxiety. And so I need to be able to let go of clients that are abusive, verbally abusive. I need to know that I can make that decision on my own, by myself, in the moment, if it needs to be done. And I need to know that I can block off my schedule if I am not okay for some reason. <laughs> so that's kind of like a little bit more on the thought process of that. And I wanted to speak a little bit more to what you said about Whisker Cloud. And I'm blanking on what it was. <laughs> can you- about, about how many team page changes we have? Yes, yes. The payment. I mean, it's like every week, this person's gone. We oh, hired these yes. two people. And yes. then like three days later, it's like, okay, now that person's gone. And if it's funny, if you go look, there's certain hospitals where they email five to, five to 10 times a month, every month. And it's just like team pain changes again. And they're in the, you know, and again, I feel bad for them because it's got to be tough. But I think at that point, I don't know, man, it's, it's hard. I don't want to, cause everyone's, they're such good people. Like I know some of these people and I'm thinking yeah. like, man, I know her. She's amazing. Why, why does she have such turnover? But I don't work there. So I don't know what it's like there day to day. Yeah. So I hear that a hundred percent. I know I've never seen the rate of turnover that I'm seeing now of my colleagues and friends in clinics. And you know, there's terrible staffing issues. And so it's also like a vicious cycle. Like if staff leaves and the remaining people are left with more pressure on them and then they want to leave, <laughs> you know, so it's really, really, really difficult. As, I mean, since COVID, of course, everything's gotten so much worse. People have gotten more kind of demanding and difficult and people have lost their sense of grace with, with our teams and our teams with each other, I think, been just kind of losing their patience and losing their cool and not being so nice to each other. And it's just a big vicious cycle. But yeah, I mean, I, there's a really interesting phenomenon that's happening now. I've, I've had my hand on the pulse of the house call and mobile vet world for maybe six, seven years now. And there's like a mass exodus from clinical work of veterinarians who are planning out their escape via a mobile or house call practice. It's, it's like a huge movement every day I find out about someone or someone reaches out to me and says, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. (laughs) I need to get out of this mess. How can I fix this? So that's happening. And so I'm sure that's tied in with like the staff changes that you're seeing on all of these websites. And, you know, people are trying to explore different paths and ways that things can in veterinary medicine can exist more on their terms without the severe burnout and kind of loss of freedom that's happening more and more. Whisker Cloud, it's funny too. Like I think our business has grown because we work with probably 80 to 100 mobile vets have sites and marketing with us. And I was talking to one yesterday 
And we were talking about what made her make the move to being a mobile vet and starting her own business. That's just so interesting to me. You know, if you're a young associate vet in a hospital making 60,000 and you think to yourself, well, God, I could go do three appointments and make over a thousand bucks in a day. And, you know, I could work three, four days a week and do that. Like I I could be making way more than that for way less hours, not be in the hospital, not have to be there when you tell me to be there, not have to screw with the screaming stuff. So yeah, it's like, you know, for us, I hate to say it like this because I want to support all legs and all branches of veterinary medicine but being a mobile vet it's it's probably like any other business if you've got a really strong website and you're doing good marketing and you're putting yourself out there it'll pay for itself 50 times over if you know what you're doing but i also think you kind of struggle well you probably know better than me you are one and i'm just talking about it like a weirdo but you know you probably struggle it's like you know you have to be really good at managing your time you have to be really good at you know i assume when you're a mobile vet you're not sitting in the clinic all day like shit i have to pay for this i have to pay all these people there's probably times where you're like you know i'm taking a long weekend and then you think to yourself like damn it am i wrong or is that right i mean do you ever think that way where you're like you know i'm going to not take many appointments this week i need a break and then the next week you think oh, i wish i would have done that does that ever happen? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Like, for example, I take breaks whenever I want to. And for example, last week I, I have a, one of my best friends is also a house call vet and it was her 40th birthday. I went and met her up at the Russian river and we floated down the river drinking watermelon beers. And my clients had no idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I just took the time because I, I wanted a vacation. I wanted to be there for my friend. It was the middle of the week. And there I am floating down the Russian River on a pineapple floaty thing, drinking watermelon beer. And I'm like, it's the middle of the work week. I'm good. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> you 100% have this freedom to do whatever you need to do. And you can definitely earn a fantastic income while working a lot less. The whole paradigm, I think, about house call practice is work smarter, not harder. And that's not to say that you can't burn out as a house call vet and that you can't make bad business mistakes as well. You know, ask me how I know, (laughs) but I've worked my way out of that over time and learned a lot the hard way, but the potential for working less and being more fulfilled, having things on your terms, on your time, taking time when you need it, that is the beauty of house calls. And I'm so glad to hear that you have so many house call practitioners, you know, who have websites with you, because I think the website and your marketing, that is so, (laughs) so important for having a successful house call practice and being able to have the volume of people coming your way so that you can choose from everyone who's interested in you, who you are interested in, so that you ultimately have basically your dream practice of clients that you love and who trust you and things like that. So that's awesome. Well, and we meet people and they're like, yeah, I've been doing this for a year. And we're like, Oh, cool. Can we see your website? Oh, we don't have one. I'm like, how, how is that even, what do you do? How do even people know who you are? And she's like, Oh, it's word of mouth. I'm like, Oh, that that's not how you run a business. Nothing in life is word of mouth. You just can't. I mean, it's helpful, but you know, it's like, if you really want to be out on your own and grow, I mean, I, this is Whisker Club's the second business I started. I'm lucky that both have been really successful and there's just a lot of grind that goes into it. And even when Whisker Club first started, I didn't have, we didn't have any customers. I had nothing to show. So, you know, if you're a mobile vet, you want to show pictures, you want to have reviews, you want to have case studies, but if you're brand new, you don't have that. Well, Whisker Club was the same. So you know what I did day one, 
well, before day one, I built four fully functioning websites for four fictitious veterinary hospitals <laughs> that were like, and, and those sites were amazing. And I remember our first customer ever in Northern California. I don't even remember how the hell she heard about us, but I showed her those four sites and she's like, can I call them? I'm like, oh, they're not real people, but you know, your site could look like this. And she was like, really? I'm in. But I mean, that's what I had to do. I had to create a website and then I had to create social proof. Well, if I don't have reviews, social proof can be the work, but I had to create all that. So yeah, it's interesting when mobile vets don't have a website, don't have online forms, you know, and they're like, yeah, it's just word of mouth. People can find me on Facebook. I'm like, oh God, that sounds horrible. So, (laughs) but I like how passionate you are about it because I'm with you. I feel, I believe in mobility. I think that being mobile and being able to make changes in your life is really important. I have multiple employees at Whisker Cloud who have side hustles and side gigs. I don't care. As long as it doesn't affect their work at Whisker Cloud, I think that's wonderful. Maybe they come across an idea that they use that we can use. I'm a big fan of it. And I would assume there's probably a lot of side hustles here that I don't know about. And I hope our team knows I would completely root them on unless they're like building websites with our technology for like (laughs) behind my back then we have a problem but no and and i and i'm with you it's just you know if you're a vet i think for a lot of people the structure of being in the hospital is really great because running your own business just it's not for everyone whether you're a mobile vet whether you're a marketing consultant whether you're a cpa it's just not for everyone and i really don't think that's a bad thing it's hard it sucks you know about it you run a business you know i run a business it's tough and i have 30 employees that i think about and stress about 24 seven too. I don't even think they know about that. So I'm with you, but yeah, I mean, if you can go out and you can even God, let me ask you this. And I'm asking this question. I don't really know. Well, I know that some of our mobile vets do like relief work. I was wondering, like, do you think there's any full-time vets at, at brick and mortar that maybe like on weekends do mobile? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who have like a side hustle house call practice. Like a lot of people nice. will do, like end of life care or just like in home euthanasia only kind of on the side for some extra cash. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's a beautiful way to go. And, you know, I also think that there are, there are house call practices where you don't have to be a business owner because that's its own thing. Like, you know, how much stress comes with <laughs> business owning. And, you know, if you've got a lot of people that you're responsible for and really care about them, like I see you do, That's a lot. That's a lot. So I think there are definitely ways that people who are interested in house call or relief can work under a different business. And so that is off their plate, but they still have kind of the autonomy of practicing their own way, their own schedule, things like that. I do think kind of as a side hustle, or if you want to do this kind of as an employee, I think that's also possible. And a lot of people I know are very happy doing that kind of work in that way. Nice. You know, what's funny about me is I work a lot. I run a successful company and then I'll be like walking at the beach with my wife down here and we'll see like a surf instructor and I'll be like, man, I just want that guy's job for like a week. Just like, you know, he probably loves surfing more than anything. He gets to wake up, probably goes and surfs and then, you know, people pay him to show them how to do what he loves or what she loves. And yeah, I just like, 
there's times where I look at that. And I'm like, wouldn't that just be nice? Like this, he's not checking his email. She's not worried <laughs> about a meeting. They're just up and early training people how to surf. They're in the ocean 200 days a year and they take Fridays off. And sometimes they get crazy and take a Friday and a Monday off. I just, I was telling you, I just took my first vacation in years with my family and I was away from work for nine days. I, I was working like early in the mornings. We were in Hawaii. So the time change, I was waking up at like one because I'm a psychopath. So I was like working <laughs> for a couple hours, but it's so stupid. I felt guilty the whole time. Yeah. It's not stupid. And vets feel the same way. Why is that? Isn't that just fucked up? I'm sitting there like I'm on my first vacation in years with my my wife and my in-laws just trying to relax. And, you know, I'm like, I wake up at one in the morning because I always wake up at four Pacific. So it made sense. And I would take my laptop out to the pool at our resort, which was amazing. And I there was this, like this waterfall cave and I would sit in there and work. And and I was thinking to myself, you know, one morning we woke up, I didn't work. And all day I'm like, oh, I felt bad. I, I should have done it. I woke up early. I should have. I'm like, man, what is wrong with me? And then I think about years ago, my wife and I went to Paris for our honeymoon. And it's like, you could be walking around on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. No businesses are open. There's no one out and about. Like, they just don't care over there. It's so amazing. How do we get past this where we all carry this guilt and we carry this stress and we carry this? I always have to be working. I always have to do this. How can more vets and more people like me just sit back and go down the Russian River and drink watermelon beers? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, I hear you so loud and clear. And... I mean, I think that is what business owners struggle with everywhere. And I think if you're anywhere near the vet industry, you're going to feel it more. I mean, I can't imagine how much you internalize from just even working with veterinarians and hearing what we go through. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you, you're channeling some of that yourself, but that's the thing about business owning that it can really eat you up. <laughs> like it really can. And it is fucked up, like you said, uh, to, to be on vacation and you're feeling guilty. I mean, it is like I've so been there. And like, I mean, I don't know what to say, but I think part of it is practice. Like <laughs> I've gotten so committed to being able to take breaks and like talking about it. And I mean, one of my big things is like wellness and self-care. And, you know, I'm a holistic practitioner and what I believe and I try to practice what I preach is that to truly have holistic care for the animals, we have to take care of not only the animals, but the owner and ourselves. So if we ourselves are burnt out, we can't take a break without incurring <laughs> badness in ourselves, then something is hurting us too. And, and maybe we have to, I don't know, get some practice in taking breaks and feeling good and positively reinforcing ourselves for taking breaks and things like that. I actually have, we discussed this a little bit. I've got an online course that I'm teaching for house call vets and I have a whole unit called how to take a vacation because it's so hard for us. <laughs> it's so hard. People need to be taught how to take a vacation and that it's okay. And <laughs> I mean, it's nobody's fault. We care so much your business and what you're doing is so important and meaningful to you. And you carry the weight of your employees and all of the vets that you serve. And I feel that weight for all of my patients and we feel the guilt because we care yet, <laughs> yet <laughs> the sustainability is what's at stake. If we don't, <laughs> if we don't learn how to 
take a break and positively reinforce ourselves for it and to know that it's okay. So I'm going to positively reinforce you. You go. I'm glad you went to Hawaii and thank God you did. And you need to go more so that you don't feel guilty anymore. <laughs> to my wife who's listening to this, there you go. You heard it. Because <laughs> she was like, are we going back? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was weird too. It's like when I was away, most days I get anywhere from three to 400 emails per day, every mm. day. Mm. And w- while I was gone, it was like 50. And it's not like I told a bunch. Of, I mean, I had an out of office message, but it's not like a bunch of people knew. So I thought that was so interesting. It's like the universe just was sort of like, hey, man, I got you. I'm going to take it out of people's heads that they're not going to email you and you're just going to be able to go do your thing. And if they do email you, they'll see that you're gone. And you know, you have about a billion people at Whisker Cloud who can help them probably faster than you can anyway, because you're busy. So yeah, there was like, there was definitely some of that at play, which was nice. But there was one day where I was with my wife and my in-laws and we were driving up to Wailea Canyon, which is beautiful on Kauai, and it's sort of like their Grand Canyon. And we're driving up there, and I get an alert from our Google Cloud team that there's some issues. No customers were affected, but when something like that happens on our cloud servers, we have to proxy IPs and move it to a secondary server so there's no downtime. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And I'm driving up. Everything's fine. I had a little drama with some pet sitter stuff. And then I had that. And then we're driving up to Waimea Canyon and I lose all service. (laughs) And, and I, and my personality, that wasn't good. And, and I had to be present for my family, be present for the trip and also be sitting there like really stressed out and not having any phone stuff. And it was just like, so fun. I was talking to my wife about it later and I'm just like, shit how does that you know how do i said will we ever be big enough to where and we're big like will we ever be big enough to where i won't care about that and she's like no you'll always care so yeah i think that's another part of it is like you got to have a team you trust and i do and they handled it and everything went smooth we had zero issues but for those two three hours i was out of pocket like i was sitting there the whole time thinking the worst and it was tough yeah i relate to that so much and like of course you're always gonna care of course (laughs) and my my kind of story that's similar to that is my boyfriend loves to go camping and he always wants to go camping in places that have no phone service and when we (laughs) first got together (laughs) this would stress me the hell out i was like i can't with this we would go on the weekends and i was technically closed on the weekends And I was like, but I still check to make sure nothing's wrong. And like, there's nothing crazy. Like my clients aren't waiting for something. And it's like, they actually need to be in the hospital immediately. Like, don't wait for me until Monday, but they don't know that. And, you know, so I had all these like crazy scenarios that I was like, I'm going to get back into town on Monday and I'm going to see all my patients died. Everyone's left my practice because they hate me. You know, it was like absolutely catastrophic things. And <laughs> and like the whole time I was camping without service, I was just like, Jesus Christ, like I can't, I can't with this. <laughs> and so over time I got the practice that I need. It forced me. <laughs> it forced me because that was his, that is his passion. And it's now my passion too. And it was actually a blessing in disguise because it taught me that I need to detach. Like I have to. And I learned that it's going to be okay. And it wasn't easy. Like I 
stressed the hell out. Like every weekend we went out of town. So I hear you and I know exactly, (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, and you know what's tough too? It's like, I maintain this and this isn't just for talk. This is true. Like no one outworks me on earth, period. And, and I want the other companies that provide similar services to us, but maybe not as comprehensive, just to understand what they do at Whisker Cloud, we can't do that. They're just, they're better. And that makes me sound weird, but it's true. And like the detail we do and the support we provide, it has to be perfect. And I want everyone out there, whether there are customers and it benefits them, whether it's other companies, it doesn't matter. I, I This is going to come off weird, but I want everyone to know it's like Whisker Cloud doesn't take days off. And the guy who runs it, he doesn't take days off. He's in, he's in Hawaii, and you're like, oh, hey, he's in Hawaii. He's relaxing. Let's go. And then you get online, and you're like, oh, shit, it's 1 in the morning. He's up. So it's like I've always loved that, and it's tough for me to let go of that because I, I always want to make sure everyone knows like, there's not a single day off here. And by the way, just for everyone's listening who's thinking I'm crazy, I did take a personality quiz for a job once, and my number one trait was like competitive and it was like off the charts so (laughs) there's that (laughs) so you have a course and you do a lot can you kind of talk about everything that goes into that and why you started it and where people can find it yeah and i hear you about also being so dedicated and not taking a minute of a of a break and i think your all of your clients are so lucky to have you i just wanted to say that (laughs) well they don't have me they have 30 other people here but yeah they have me sort of being psychotic making sure nice nice (laughs) so my course is called the house call vet academy it's an online course on demand and i sort of started it when i started to see this huge influx of veterinarians joining the house call vet community and i had tons of people kind of banging down my door. I'm very vocal about my house call practice and, you know, what it's done for my life and how it's changed my, you know, ability to love veterinary medicine again and to support myself and have freedom and, you know, all the things that everyone wants. Like I talk about it all the time because I really think it's vet med's best kept secret. (laughs) I really do. And so, you know, I had people kind of just naturally coming to me and, messaging me, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. Can you help me? And I had a lot of this and I was like, I think I need to put something together for this. And I think people really needing mentorship and guidance and kind of a blueprint. And I was thinking like, I've been doing this for around five years now, maybe a little more. And like I said earlier, I learned a lot the hard way. I got burnt out in business owning. I had folks that weren't ideal for me to be working with, boundary issues, all of it. And it took me a few years to really work my way out of it. And there were definitely things that I wasn't doing properly in the beginning because I didn't know. It's kind of like an uncharted destination. Most house call vets are kind of figuring it out and winging it because there is no training program. There's no You know, there are courses for business, but none of them are specifically for the house call or mobile model. And there's a lot that simply cannot be extrapolated about this style of practice, either from a clinical, technical perspective or from a client communication perspective or from a business perspective. And so I was like, I figured this out. I'm in a really good place right now. I have a concierge service. I'm doing some things that are really unique and really working for me, bringing in a good 
income and I just feel good. I have time to play flute. I have time to do yoga and go camping on the weekends and not worry about my phone. And, you know, just like my life feels like good right now. And I just felt like suddenly I have a platform from which to be able to help other people and mentor them. And so I put together kind of a blueprint of how to start or how to revamp because I've been through both. I started a practice and then I wasn't happy and then I revamped it and I did a lot of work over the years to get to where I am now. And so I created this course so that I could teach people how to do this without having to reinvent the wheel, without it having to take them years to figure out or without having to spend, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in overhead that they actually don't need. And so I just sort of like started recording everything from the beginning. (laughs) And I have in my course right now, amazing people. Like I'm just blown away by what I'm seeing. Like I have one participant who just told me, my business is up 40% this month. Thank you so much. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to (laughs) cry. And I have five or six people who have seen their first house call clients since starting with my course. And it's just been a really beautiful thing because I know that it took me way, way, way longer to get the results that my people are getting. And they're all just, it makes me so happy seeing people happy and having something that's their own and just really thriving with it. Awesome. That's cool that you did that because I don't think a lot of people would even know where to start with that and how to do it. So that's really great. And I'm just going to ask you one last question. Where can people find you online? Yeah. So people can find me on the House Call Vet Academy Facebook page or my Instagram page with the same name. And I will be getting a new website, but for now it's www.thehousecallvetacademy.com. Nice. And we'll, we'll link that in the show notes so everyone has it. And Eve, I really appreciate you coming on, matching my F word counts and, <laughs> and just um, being totally real with everyone. I think this was a really interesting episode. So I really appreciate your time today. And, and for everyone out there, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, Whisker Talks. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Go to whiskercloud.com. Check out the blog. We post crazy amounts of stuff. Follow us on social media. It's just at Whisker Cloud, Instagram, Facebook. We have a lot of followers. We do a lot of cool stuff. We do a lot of giveaways. So appreciate you. Thanks to everyone for listening and have a great day. 